Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Jason Tyndall to my Eddie Howe. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, we're recording another early episode of the Second Tier here on this Thursday morning. The question is that everyone's asking is, have you had your breakfast yet? No, I don't actually eat breakfast until like mid-morning. Yeah, okay, fair enough. What do you usually have for your breakfast? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I rotate between like Weetabix or uh, Ready Break. Not even like, not even adult porridge, child porridge. I love Ready Break. Fair enough. I have no qualms with that whatsoever. Uh, Justin, let's dive right into things. This is, of course, the second tier, the biggest championship specific podcast in the world. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yeah, we've got the midweek games to go through again. We've got the transfer news from Monday. It was, of course, transfer deadline day. So we'll run through all the deals, all the big deals in the championship from transfer deadline day. But we'll start off with the big news from the week. Justin Bournemouth have sacked Jason Tyndall after four straight losses. The latest coming against Sheffield Wednesday. More on that game in a sec. But Tyndall took over from Eddie Howe in August after being promoted from assistant manager Jonathan Woodgate will take temporary charge. Justin, what's your initial reaction to the news? I'm not. I'm not. I'm both surprised and not surprised. And the reason why is because I, I thought um, I thought Tindall would get at least a couple more games. I think I think four games, four straight defeats, isn't isn't the worst run of form. It's it's not great, but I guess if you've got the squad that Bournemouth have, the resources that Bournemouth have, that are probably spending on a weekly basis on on salaries and whatnot. And the desperation to get back into the Premier League, okay, it's not, it's not really, it's not good enough. Um, so yeah, it's it's dis- <clears throat> it's disappointing, you know. He he seemed like a, a nice chap, and he had a, a lovely pair of chinos. We're now down a, a chino wearing manager in the league, which they're hard to come by, especially in winter. Yeah, and we've also lost a manager of the nicest hair in the Championship. That's true. Which I think is the biggest tragedy of all. I think if I was Jason Tyndall, I'd feel a bit hard done by in the fact that this is his first job and this is the first bad run he's had and he's out the door straight away. So from that way, I can feel a bit of sympathy towards him. But as you say, this is a bloody good Bournemouth squad. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're only just hanging on to the, the final playoff place at the moment perhaps isn't good enough. They've drawn a lot of games this season, a lot of games that they should be winning. And I think that's been the main downfall in the long term for Tyndall. Obviously, this run they've gone on recently hasn't helped things. But um, the fact that they're... I don't think they've been in the automatics all season, have they? If they have, they've only been there very briefly. It was a short spell. Yeah, and despite 
a lot of quality players leaving in the past two transfer windows. They've still got some very good players here and the players they have should not be settling for a top six place. I think the other thing is as well, this says a lot about the desperation of the Bournemouth boards to get promoted this season. Yeah. I, d I don't think they're particularly in any financial trouble if they weren't to get promoted this season, but they clearly see this as a great chance to bounce back straight away. They might not be able to hold on to all the players they've got now in the next transfer window, and I think a couple are out of contract mm -hmm. as well. So they clearly see this as a chance to go for broke. Well, no, financial trouble is not an issue, um, but it's going to be the fact that you know if they don't get promoted, they've got all of these players, the Lewis Cooks, Dominic Solanke's, who they've got an opportunity to grow with Bournemouth. Um, and are they going to want to have another season in the Championship? Because they've been playing well, barring this run of form. But are they going to want to have another season in the Championship? No. It'll almost be setting the reset button for Bournemouth. And no, uh, they, they, they won't want that. They'll want to build with these, these young players that they've got. No, you're spot on. And the thing is, you don't see many teams get relegated from the Premier League and go up the season after. Usually, if a team doesn't get promoted in that first <coughs> season, then they could end up being there for quite some time. So... They clearly see this as a chance to go for broke. I do feel sorry for Jason Tindall. Um, whether he'll get another job in management, I'm not sure because people will look at this run and say, we well, had a good squad, didn't make the most of it, and he's still a fairly inexperienced manager despite having, what, six months under his belt. So mm -hmm. I, I do feel quite a bit of sympathy for him in that case. Jonathan Woodgate, temporary charge. <laughs> we've obviously got a lot of experience with Buddy after last season with Middlesbrough where everything went almost completely wrong um, it does seem a bit weird that he was brought in what last week wasn't he as yeah. assistant manager and now he's in temporary charge it almost seems a bit too coincidental Justin he's landed on his feet hasn't he uh, <laughs> It's yeah, it's it's a weird one. I thought I think Graham Jones is a talented coach. I think losing Graham Jones to Newcastle from Bournemouth's perspective is, um, might, I wouldn't say it's one of the reasons why the the run of forms you know, downturned, but it's not going to help. And I don't think Jonathan Woodgate's anywhere near the standard that Graham Jones was. Um, so yeah, not too sure about this one. <laughs> I just have this horrible feeling that he might get the job permanently. And that's that's no disrespect to Jonathan Mudgate. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that they brought him in last week, <laughs> the week before Jason Tindall gets sacked, just seems like they've got uh, plans up their sleeve. Frank Lampard was the favourite yesterday, last time I checked. Um, would you be a fan of him in charge? I, I really don't rate him as a manager, which I could spend a whole hours-long episode telling you why. So no, I wouldn't be happy with him in charge. Who do you think Bournemouth would need? What kind of manager do you think they should be looking to get? It's, uh, it'll be a young manager, um, you know, someone of the Eddie Howe, Jason Tindall, Frank Lampard mould. Someone, a, a manager who's you know wants to play good football, has a has a has an ethos and a style of football because Bournemouth run very well behind the scenes. They have a very good structure, so. They'll have a plan in place, or a rough plan in place, and, and um, a remit as to which they'll fall back on. They won't do it willy-nilly like some clubs in the Championship do. You say a young manager who plays good attacking football. That sounds like Frank Lampard. <laughs> Except it's not good attacking football. Like I say, I could spend another hour talking about this. We won't get into it because we don't have that much time. 
fair enough. Well, the game that ultimately cost Jason Tindall his job was the loss to Sheffield Wednesday. That was 2-1. The thing is, and probably the most damning aspect of this game, was that Wednesday were the better team, Justin. They were, and it's no disrespect to Wednesday either but you know I mentioned the other week that the only reason why I thought Wednesday would struggle this season is because uh, or getting out of the relegation is because of lack of chances they create but they had plenty here Bournemouth gave them a lot um, and as uh, as you say it's not it's not good from their perspective which is probably one of the reasons why Tindall's been pushed out the door but from a Wednesday perspective it was it was a good performance a really good performance actually and it's something that they they will build on because I wouldn't say they've been scraping wins but None of them have, have been as convincing as this one, even though they scored in the last minute. Yeah, a brilliant header from Jordan Rhodes. Yeah. You, I always love it when he gets on the score sheet. I, I, just I, think, I, 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 I've put the same thing down in my notes. I love it when Jordan Rhodes scores. I know, and every single time I think to myself, could this be the return of Jordan <laughs> Rhodes? It never is. It really never is. Um, Callum Patterson's goal as well was incredibly funny possibly the worst finish you'll see this season but it's managed to squirm under has been a peck of it FIFA glitch isn't it? it it really summed up how dodgy defensively Bournemouth have been in mm-hmm. in the past few games um, but it brings back the argument Justin we go from one manager to the other Neil Thompson to the end of the season it's got to be done hasn't it what is it four wins now in, in his last six games or is it five wins now in seven games it's it's a remarkable turnaround from his perspective isn't it how he's managed to pick this Wednesday side up that which looked low on confidence the squad is a bit unbalanced and he's managing to get something out of them yeah I've got half a mind to contact Chancery uh, myself and convince him I, 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 I you, should, you shouldn't need convincing this should be a no-brainer um I'd be interesting to hear what you know Wednesday fans perspectives are on this because I've got nothing else to say on it. It's a no-brainer. The, the man's turned the, the Wednesday team around. He's done better than Gary Monk um, and Tony Pulis, two experienced managers at championship, championship level who couldn't get a tune out of this Wednesday squad. And it's not a very good squad. As you said, it's very imbalanced. Terribly imbalanced. Um, so, yeah, just give the man the job, for God's sake. <laughs> Could not put it better myself. Let's move on, Justin. Brentford moved into the top two after coming from behind to beat Bristol City 3-2. A great game, this. Bristol City gave it a ruddy good go, but were ultimately outclassed by a very good Brentford side. Going forward, they were simply phenomenal. And it's worth pointing out they were missing Josh De Silva as well. But they, are, no matter who they put on the pitch, they just find a way to just produce a brilliant attacking football like a well-oiled machine don't they that's the markings of a good side a well-coached side um you know if you can get if you've got players you could just slot in seamlessly um not only does it make your life easier um as a coach but you know as a fan you're just looking at it and going we're unstoppable um because at the minute that they are um just looking at Tarek Fossey who for the first third third and a bit of the the season wasn't really involved too much. I think he scored a couple of goals. Um, but the form he's displaying now is ridiculous. He had a hand in all three goals. Um, the cross for Tony's goal was just sumptuous. It was fantastic. Lovely. Um, and he seems to be thriving. And when you've got... Uh, we've said it almost every week. When you've got players who can just step in and perform, it's impossible for opposition. It really is. It just It's, 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 da- it's a daunting task playing against them at the moment. Mm, they've got... 
loads of depth and quality throughout the squad, haven't they? Mm-hmm. And they managed to they put Godos in centre midfield, and he's still pulled off a fantastic performance, as you mentioned. Um, Fosu was great in the last month or so. He has been like a man reborn. We've not really seen him much this season, as you were mm-hmm. mentioning, but he's looked amazing recently. Sergi Canos as well had a great game. Just so many positive points here for Brentford. They moved into the top two. I honestly think they're staying there. <laughs> I, they might drop out over the next couple of weeks or so, but I really do think come the end of the season we're going to see this Brentford side in the top two because they are getting better and better as the season goes on in fact I was thinking I've been thinking about this a lot recently Justin do you want me to give you my grand prediction for how the rest of the season is going to go I honestly think Brentford will win the league I do think they'll overtake Norwich Norwich and Swansea will probably batted it out for the last automatic promotion place Um, maybe another one of the teams behind them might get back into that battle as well Um, and then I think the top six will probably stay as it is if I'm honest it's hard to see too many others breaking in maybe Blackburn Blackburn's the one side who I can see uh, getting in there but the top two I think Brentford will almost certainly finish there for me because they are looking so so good at the moment they are the form team in the division and it's going to take a mighty effort for anyone to stop them at the moment. They are like a runaway train as it stands. Um, let's talk about Bristol City because there was no shame in this loss. They gave them a ruddy good game. Uh, the devastating thing from their perspective is they've got more injuries, Justin. More injuries. Hakeba Delacun is out for the season. Tommy Rowe is going to miss the next couple of months through injury. Worth pointing out, that means they've got no left back. Adrian Mariapa had to play there here for Brentford. It didn't do do too badly considering it is Brentford, but they might have to have a look into the free agent market for that. (laughs) Um, They've had some terrible luck with injuries this season, haven't they? Yeah, you you do have to feel for Dean Holder because as we saw at the weekend um, against Derby and um, parts here, you just can't develop a style of play. It's... It's, it's surely impossible to do that when you just don't have your key players available because you're relying on them key players to stamp out your um, yeah style of play pretty much and, and, and philosophy. But you take them out of the team, you're left with square pegs, um, which you know Mariapa at left back is a, is very much a square square peg. Um, it's 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 frustrating from his perspective, and you know a mid table finish would I think would be a really good season. In perspective, well, sorry, in context for, for Bristol City, it is, it is incredulous the number of players they've had who have missed what at least three months of the season. I can yeah. name I, when you were just talking. Then I was trying to think off the top of my head the number of players they've had, and I'm still thinking of others now, like Joe Williams, Andy Vyman, Josh De Silva, Josh De Silva, Jada Silva, Jada <laughs> Silva. Sorry, I always get those two mixed up. Um, they're just three off the top of my head. <clears throat> Mawson, Sessignon, so many players who I think most of them have missed at least six months of the season so far, haven't they? It's mm-hmm. amazing. and I, I, It just amazes me how this can happen. There must be some reason why they've had so many players be long-term absentees from the first team. It doesn't. There, there's got to be some source because you look at other teams, like Brentford, for example, they haven't had... I can't think of any players off the top of my head who have missed six months of the season. 
but Bristol hmm. City have had nearly a first team worth of players who have missed the most of the season so far. It's just amazing. Uh, let's move on. Millwall nil, Norwich nil. Uh, heading into this game, Gary Rowett would have been more than happy with a point, but Millwall had some massive chances to win this game. Ken Zahora had a header, Rich. If he had got it on target, it was a goal. Simple as that. And perhaps the best and most entertaining chance of the game where Tim Krull had gone up the pitch to take a free kick, played it short, Norwich are passing it around at the back, but they lose it. Jed Wallace has the ball. Tim Krull's still running back to his goal, so Wallace has got an open goal, 50 yards out. He has a pop, but dragged it wide. But it could have been a massive, massive goal in the grand scheme of things, not just for Millwall's season, but also for Norwich's season. Um, Norwich struggled to create many chances here, didn't they? Second game in a row where that's happened. And, I mean, that doesn't sound like much, but Norwich have been the best team going forwards this season. Do you think it's much to be concerned about? Uh, Well, they look blunt against Borough. And it's another blank here against Millwall, against uh, a team that is down there. Millwall are very organised, but you do expect at least a couple of opportunities. Obviously, without Buendia as well, it's not going to be, not going to help. But you know, like we're speaking about Brentford, you need players to step in and step up. I don't think Norwich have that. They don't have the 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 quality of depth that Brentford do, um, which is what we're seeing now. And obviously, you know the the. Lack of goals from their their part isn't the worst thing, but it's the amount of chances they're conceding on a game by game basis. Like they, they were second best against Borough. Um, you know, they, Borough had the best chances at the weekend, and it's the same same here against against Millwall. It's not it's not um, comfortable viewing. No, for Norwich. Two, con- two consecutive nil nils. They'll be hoping this is just a blip, but at the same time, you could argue they're not playing particularly well in those last two games but they're not losing either so every cloud Millwall have now played 27 games this season and drawn 14 of them <clears throat> that's the third most draws at this point ever in a championship season which is not bad going at all in fairness they've looked much more defensively solid in the last four games haven't they they've only conceded one in that time and the data shows that in terms of chances created against them as well it's they look more defensively solid Um, let's have a break Justin after that we'll talk about wins for QPR Rotherham and Forest I tell you what there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt I've got loads of them a Juventus shirt Marseille shirt even an Antalya Sport shirt One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either. They've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast on Monday night. Watford lost 2-1 to QPR. Charlie Austin amongst the goals. Uh, Justin, what did you make of this game? It was Groundhog Day on Monday, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's that's what I made of Watford. <laughs> it's the same old, okay. same old, isn't it? Um, same thing's happening again. We're here again, talking about the same issue with Watford. Um, the only, their only way into the game was a penalty. Uh, they created uh, a few chances, didn't take them. Dini had one shot, Pedro had one shot. 
I know we've criticised the likes of Gray and Deeney, um, but are they having enough chances? You know, we talk about teams that create tons and tons of chances. You're likely to convert at least one, two, three of them. You know, do we do we do we slot Watford into that into that ballpark? You know, the Blackburns, the Brentfords, etc. Or do we put them into a sort of a, a mid-table team, uh, well, a mid-table side going forward who don't create too many chances? You, you, you get what I'm saying. I just don't rate this Watford side at all. Um, it's as simple as that. I don't think they're good enough to go up this season, and this game showed it. Uh, I see what you mean. Watford have now scored more penalties than any other side in the division this season. It does help when Jeff Cameron gives away one of the clumsiest penalties I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. He just absolutely flew through the uh, Watford player. Um, I, I know what you mean. Um, Ismail Assar, in particular, it looked like a few weeks ago that he had turned the corner and under Isco Munoz, he was becoming the player that we saw in the Premier League last season and we're expecting to see in the Championship this season. But he seems to have gone back to the player who was really struggling under Ivic, struggling to put his stamp on the game and ultimately just drifting out of games and not really having much of an impact. He's one player you've got to point the fingers at, really, haven't you? I mean, there's plenty of players you can point the finger at for Watford this season going forwards. Defensively has been their real saving grace because they've got one of the best defensive records in the Championship and that's the only reason why they're really up there because if you took that away then they would be a mid-table side yeah. going forwards there are plenty of um, ways they can improve they were playing Will Hughes on the wing in this game I think they're still trying to find their best attacking um, side really mm-hmm. and they're still struggling to find it it's, um, it's interesting but Iska Munoz has really got his work cut out to try and get a tune out of this Watford side going forwards. But let's talk about QPR going forwards, Justin. We said it before, didn't we? If you give Charlie Austin chances, he will score goals. And that header is a perfect example of what he can bring to this side. They've put in a lot of crosses this season, have QPR. And the likes of Elias Chair have created plenty of chances for them as well. They've been seriously lacking that one man who can get on the end of those chances and put them away. Charlie Austin, there aren't too many better at this level than than him at doing that, are there? No, no, and he scored his 50th as well, which is which is impressive considering he joined in January. <laughs> um, but it's the individual quality for, for QPR that was on that, that was on show. They completed 22 dribbles compared to Watford's 12, um, which, again, in the context of things, tells you all you need to know about Watford. Um, but from QPR's perspective, that, that's massive. When you've got when you lose player like say Samuel, who was the chief dribbler in that team, um, other players have got to step up, and they clearly are. And that that cross for Charlie Austin was just ridiculously good. Um, Chris Willock was was fantastic, and and Albert Adoma who came on his touch in the 90th minute in the box under pressure was just brilliant yeah it's really hard to get words for it you know the the, the composure from that that man to to win the game for QPR was was just coolness personified yeah you could make a fair argument that QPR deserved the three points here they really did they were the much of that side against Watford um there was a gigantic result at the bottom of the table Justin as Rotherham beat Derby 3-0 a fairly even first half but Rotherham much the better side in the second half did you what did you think of the game um, yeah, Rotherham deserved the win. Simple as that. I think you know you said it was an even game, but I think Rotherham edged Derby all the way through it, and obviously the three 0 
might have flattered them a bit because all the goals came in the the, the final 15 minutes but I thought they outplayed Derby all game um, and the frustrating thing is you know seeing fans on Twitter they underestimate this Rotherham team I've said it on several occasions they're the best team in that bottom bottom group of um, bottom group of sides they're, they're miles ahead um, you know and they put three past one of the more defensively astute teams in the league a while since Rooney took charge anyway Um it was it was good football. They play smart. They play aggressive. It's not sexy by any means, but it's results football, um, and I love it. Uh, they scored ten in the last four as well. So yeah, this this team needs to be taken seriously. They're a very efficient side, aren't they? Defensively, they were brilliant here. Michael Smith led the line up front brilliantly as well. Uh, in the last five games, 10 points from a possible 15. They're really looking like a very good side, Rotherham. And I do agree with you in the way that they are a side which is quite often unfairly <coughs> underrated by other fans in the division. Not sure I agree that they're the best out of the, si- out of the teams near the bottom of the table, but I do 100% agree that people need to take this Rotherham side a lot more seriously they're giving themselves a very good chance of staying up the season aren't they they've still got games in hand on all the teams above them actually um, and just two points from safety now so they're really looking like a very decent outfit right now but Derby they look really lacklustre here didn't they despite having 65% possession they didn't really look in control of the game at any point did they no, they didn't. And the, the the more damning thing for Derby is, you know, conceding in the last fifteen minutes of the game again. But all season they've conceded sixteen goals in the last fifteen minutes of the game, which I said it a few weeks ago. Um, it's it's terrible. That's, that's a terrible start. Uh, you know, that's form. Uh, sorry, that that's fitness. That's concentration. That's not good enough for a team that are in the bottom bottom six. It's it's too poor. And without Christian Bielik, the centre halves are exposed. Um, and they're made to defend more and as we saw for large parts of last season and this season defending without him is not something they're very good at simple as that go through it at the back for the rest of the season because that's the only way Derby are going to stay up 16 goals conceded after 15 minutes they've only conceded 28 all season um, so that means they've conceded more than half their goals in the last 15 minutes which is ridiculous. incredulous uh, but I, I do worry that this could be the start of life after Bielik as I say, as I said at, uh, at the weekend, I do worry that Derby could go back to the side that we saw before he returned from injury, where they were simply the second best in pretty much every game throughout the season. The games where they did get results were usually games where they were sat back, grinding out um, a point here and there. Um, they really need to hope that some of these players that they brought in on deadline day which we'll talk about a bit later on can really step up to the plate because if not then Derby are in a massive massive pickle in terms of the relegation battle um, but this and the Forest result which we'll get on to next has really opened things up at the bottom of the table hasn't it just eight points separating Wednesday in 23rd and Luton in 13th now it's made all the more confusing by teams having played differing numbers of games but when you look at the championship table and this is a big question Justin from which point downwards do you consider teams to be in danger of going down I was actually thinking this before we we came on I was looking at the table and I was thinking who's in trouble here Mm. Um, I think you go. I think you do go up to Luton. Um, really? I think there's there's just the, the slightest outside chance that Luton teams that are 
sort of below Luton can get dragged into it and that's just down to inconsistency um, because we're looking at Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby to a point, Forest. They're finally picking up some consistent, uh, a consistent run of form. I know Derby lost but they won three games on the trot. Um, they're finally picking up some consistent run of form whereas teams above them, Cardiff, Huddersfield, um, not necessarily Millwall, Luton, a little bit of um, complacency setting in. So, I can't rule it out. I can see what you mean. That there's a massive issue into in the middle of the championship this season with consistency. We struggle to know what the likes of Preston, Stoke, Luton, what these teams are going to do next in their next game. Um, it's not a case of, oh, they're going on a good run of form at the moment. It seems to be they pick up a win here, they pick up a loss there. It's all over the place. Um, but I would say probably from QPR downwards, also including Huddersfield with an outside chance of maybe getting dragged into it. I think all those teams from QPR down are probably still in danger of going down this season. I mean, as I say, there's only five points separating uh, six points separating Wednesday and Cardiff but I do think those teams should be able to get away from uh, the relegation battle um, and it's also worth pointing out I struggle to see many teams picking up six points across the uh, next five six games or what have you um, so yeah I, I do think um, QPR downwards would probably be who I'd count as in the relegation battle this season but calling who's going down at the moment is incredibly tricky really really tricky yeah I honestly cannot predict how this season's going to end in terms of a relegation battle and that's why we bloody love this league Justin Uh, let's talk about Coventry Forest that finished 2-1 to the tricky trees not many (coughs) chances it's tough to argue either side particularly deserving the win here uh, Michael Rose's own goal was quite funny, but um, <laughs> looking at the game as a whole, Justin, what did you make of it? Forrest had the more experience and perhaps the more quality. That's finally, you know, coming to the fore a little bit. Um, we, you know, we saw that with the cross for Lewis Grab and Annie's finish. Um, and I do think this game could be one of those games that could be a turning point for Forrest. They went one 0 down. Um, they usually struggle to get into games and create chances, but I think the introduction of James Garner allowed for some composure for them um, allowed them to control points of the game which again they've not had all season um, with all the midfielders they have they've got nobody like him so I do think James Garner could be a pivotal signing um, going forward I know I criticised it I was more, more so criticising the strategy Forrest uh, uh, <coughs> adopt rather than James Garner himself so yeah I think having players like James Garner in the side uh, you know, get get uh, get, te- get Forrest through games like this that's it you cover your back um, <laughs> I thought uh, Garner looked tidy midfield. He was probably Forrest's most impressive player from this game. Um, but you say it's a turning point for Forrest. We've got to keep in mind here. I know the narrative from Forest fans at the moment is that they're in uh, a tricky position at the moment and the atmosphere around the city ground is very negative. They've only lost one in nine games. It's really not the end of the world at Forest at the moment. They're probably the side who are most in form at the moment out of the sides right near the bottom of the table. Um Coventry, they'll be very disappointed with this. They knew this was a game that they had to get something from and losing to a side who are around them near the bottom of the table is a massive blow. They've only managed 
uh, one win now in the last four. So they'll be hoping to turn it round at the weekend when they take on Watford. Uh, let's finish off with the final game from the midweek games. Justin, before we go on to some of the deadline day deals, Wickham nil, Birmingham nil. A fair argument that Birmingham should have won this game. They had some very good chances, but a point really does not help them in the grand scheme of things, does it, considering the results that have happened around them? Yeah, no, I saw one of um, Ryan Orsop's saves, and he was man in the match, which tells you all you need to know about the game. But one of Ryan Orsop's saves was rid- ridiculous. And when you look against you at certain points, you know, you look against you. However, this is something that's been regular for Birmingham. They haven't really... I don't think they've put a team away this season. You know, Crank is incredibly cautious in this game. You know, every, <clears throat> everything seeps into into one, and the lack of um, uh, deadliness going forward was on show here because this is a team. This is a Wickham team that's just on the back of conceding seven goals, and they conceded a lot of chances. If you have a striker who's in form uh, or a couple of players who are in form, you put two or three past them. This is only the fourth game in the last 10 where Birmingham have picked up something against their opponents one win in that time as well so as I previously pointed out at the weekend they are the team out of the bottom group who are the least in form um, apart from Wickham obviously who are starting to look a bit cut adrift at the bottom of the table now uh, Justin let's finish off with some of the deadline day deals I was going to save this for the weekend's episode but we say we talk enough about the news and what's going on in uh, that episode so I thought we'd all combine it now into this extra long midweek edition of the second tier we're only going to mention the main deals from deadline day and there were still a lot of big deals happening Um, we'll start off with the main one which was Ben Davies leaving Preston to go to Liverpool it was one that caught pretty much everyone off guard I think because mm-hmm. not many people saw this coming. What did you make of it? <laughs> exactly that. Didn't see it coming. He, I mean, Klopp clearly has a, a, a makeup of a, of a defender that he needs. You know, someone who's composed, plays out the back. Um, surely there's someone in a higher league that's more fitting of the profile than a centre half for Preston. I don't know. I really don't know what to make of it. I, I think I think saying a higher league, I think that's very disrespectful to the championship. It is, it is, I apologise. Because I think there are plenty of defenders who could easily make the step up to, or at least could make um, the step up into a top six Premier League side squad. Um, ben Davies, I wouldn't have put as one of those defenders. He's a brilliant player at this level, a, a fantastic player and one of the most in previous seasons he's probably been one of the most underrated defenders in the championship I wouldn't have put him down as a Liverpool standard defender though um, as I say fantastic player I think he was going to play in the Premier League at some point I just did not expect it to be with Liverpool but with everyone knows about Liverpool's problems at the back this season their injury problems so he's clearly just been brought in to fill a gap for the rest of the season I can't see it being much more than that, unfortunately, <laughs> for Mr Davies. Uh, Bournemouth have sold Josh King to Everton. Not a massive surprise, considering he's out of contract in the summer. Hasn't really played that much for Bournemouth this season either. No. Um, this is a deal that... I was going through all the deals that happened on deadline day. This is one that completely passed me by, Justin. Shane Long's gone to Bournemouth on loan to, uh, from Southampton. <laughs> Did not see that coming at all. But um, what, what do you think of that one? You reckon he's going to play up front with Solanke this season? I think 
Shane Long's role is going to be exactly that of what he had at Southampton, where he just comes off the bench and causes a bit of a nuisance. Mm. Um, he's one of those players who you think is still 25, but no, he's like 33, 34 now. He's getting on a bit into Yeah, um, so he's just going to be an impact player, but it's he's, he's an experienced player, which um, Bournemouth at times have lacked. So having one of those players to come in is, is going to be quite useful. Talk about experience. Glenn Murray's gone to Forest on loan. Um, the, the main thing I'm, I thought of this deal was I feel bloody sorry for Lyle Taylor because he's behind grabbing in the pecking order already and I'm guessing he's now behind Glenn Murray in the pecking order as well. Um, what, what do you think? He's just been brought in as a bit of depth in the squad? I don't think Forrest need any more depth. It, it's just a weird signing really for me. I think the problem Forrest have is... Uh, Graben, Murray and Taylor are all pen- penalty box strikers they don't have anybody who's capable of doing the work outside the box Glenn Murray might have been able to do that back in the day but the, the man's 37 now um, and only played I think he only played like 200 minutes this season um, obviously yeah, yeah. one loan at Watford so um, it's uh, it's a Hewton signing it's a very Hewton signing because he's had a lot of experience with Glenn Murray and I think I just put it down to that he just knows Glenn Murray knows what he's going to get out of him I don't think he's going to score many goals he's going to be a useful player for Forrest but not one that I can see being amazing Nokia Murray he's bringing back the old Brighton side isn't he uh, Brentford they've signed Winston Reid from West Ham I think that is a pretty tidy sign and we'll be honest completely forgot Winston Reid existed because he's not played for West Ham for quite some time now yeah, I, I made a joke on Twitter that he, he signed a six-year deal in 2017. And he's 32 now. <laughs> uh, no disrespect to Winston Reid, but who sanctioned that? Uh, West Ham don't have a great record when it comes to being the most savvy with uh, yeah. uh, deals. Uh, Derby, they were very busy boys on deadline day. Five new signings. Patrick Roberts from Man City. Lee Gregory from Stoke. George Edmondson from Rangers. Ted and Mengi from Man United. And Benny Beningami from Everton. Which one of those are you most excited about, Justin? Sorry, just go through them again. No, I'm joking. We've only got so much time. <laughs> um, I, I, I like the Lee Gregory signing. I know we had a bit of a debate um, you know, away from the podcast on it and you weren't overawed with it but I like the Lee Gregory signing I think he's a good championship striker not going to score a load of goals but Derby's makeup is that of uh, you know they want a hard working striker to bring other the creative players into into the game so that's a good one um, Tiedem Mengi as well I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it, it, it feels like the Mark Gehr deal at Swansea where he's a player who can play across all the uh, all of the back four um, and I think with this with Derby's sort of Transition. They're going to be about two. They're going to be about centre halves in the summer. So I think Mengi hopefully will sign for another another season at the end of the season. Um, and that's about it, really. Just just Gregory and, and and Mengi. Patrick Roberts, on paper, looks great, but he's not done anything since that productive loan spell away at uh, at Celtic about four years ago. And Edmondson and um, oh, I can't say his name. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't think. They're going to be, have too much of an impact either. Nathaniel Mendes-Lang and Niskins Cabano—they joined Middlesbrough on loan 
from Fulham, uh, Cabano joined uh, Middlesbrough on loan from Fulham. Mendes Lang was obviously a free agent after being uh, released from Cardiff earlier in the season. Preston, they've been active. Anthony Gordon from Everton, Liam Lindsay from Stoke and Sepp van der Berg have all joined on loan. Birmingham have been loaned Southampton right back Jan Valerie which is a signing I'm very interested to see. Valerie's played quite a few games for Southampton in the Premier League. So mm. how he does for Birmingham will be very interesting to see. Sam Fields joined QPR on loan from West Brom. Luton have signed Tom Ince on loan from Stoke, which is a move I'm very interested to see. It's been a long time since we've seen prime Tom Ince, but how old is he now? He must be, what, 28, 29? Yeah, I think he's 29. Yeah, if they manage to get the best out of him, they've got one hell of a player on their hands, haven't they? They have, they have. He's he's, a, he's such a good player at this level. I don't understand why there's so much hate towards him, uh, because for for three years he was the best wide player in the division. Simple as that. Yeah, scored a lot of goals as well for Derby, didn't he? Uh, Lewis Wing has been loaned from Middlesbrough to Rotherham. Not a massive surprise because Wing's not really been fancied too much for Warnock this season. Had a decent season last season for uh, Middlesbrough, didn't he? Under Jonathan Woodgate, scored a lot of goals from outside the box for Rotherham could be a decent bit of business. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Rotherham have done very well in the transfer window, bringing in Ryan, Ryan Giles before transfer deadline day, and obviously um, Lewis Wing as well. It's it's a it's a tidy couple of players they brought in. They've done really well, and obviously, as you say, you know, if there's a tight game going into the last five minutes, and uh, Wing just pulls one out of the bag, it's it's, it's going to make up the investment, isn't it? Lindsay, Barlassa and Wing in the middle of the park is a pretty tidy midfield for Rotherham. Uh, Swansea have signed another player from the MLS, Paul Ariola from DC United. I actually saw him play for DC United a couple of years ago and this was when Wayne Rooney was playing for DC United and Ariola was the best player on the pitch. I'm telling you, he was a, a really good player. He's played quite a bit for the US national team as well and I think he's been one of those players who has been linked with a move to England for quite some time and it's only just happened now. Um, whether he plays too much, I'm not too sure. He's a winger um, and Swansea don't really play with wingers that often but he adds a bit of depth um, to their squad. And another player from the MLS has moved to the Championship, Daryl Dyke has gone to Barnsley uh, from Orlando City. He played quite a few games for them last season, scored quite a few goals as well, and he's only a young lad as well. Um, interested to see Mr Dyke play? I, I think so. I don't know too much about him. Um, I, I did read that the only reason why he was able to join um, and get past the Brexit rules, because Brexit's a thing now, um, was because he played for the US national team um, on the 31st of January. So literally... A day before deadline at day. the weekend? Yeah, literally played at the weekend. Well, bloody hell. That's uh, some improvisation from the Barnsley board, isn't it? Fair play to them. Right, well, that's about it for us on the second tier this week. Thank you for listening. This has been the midweek edition of the second tier. We'll have a full episode back here again on Sunday, and we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the second tier. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.